We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All one word for Andy and Don. And there you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see hey, you. Good morning, yeah, Scott. Good morning, Scott. Happy Mother's Day weekend, everybody. Yeah, that's right. Yes. It's time. Mum's on the side of the road by the uh, gas station. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Not that you've ever done that, No, Scott. no, no, no. Uh, talking about human nature headlines here. Yes, start you off. know what? When it comes to human nature, I find we're just not wired to make money. Mm-hmm. And case in point is a recent headline. It's the U.S., but it doesn't really matter. It's probably the same in Canada. $515 billion boycott stocks for cash despite rally. So basically, there's a whole bunch of money sitting in cash. They're boycotting stocks in order to have money just sit in cash Mm -hmm. in spite of the recent rally we had. Mm -hmm. In global equities, um, the the global equity allocations for February fell to the lowest level since September 2016, uh, according to Bank of America. So basically meaning more money sitting in cash than since September 16th. Um, so two and a half years of, they're starting to pull out money out of equities and just stick it in cash. Mm-hmm. And the world index, this, now this is back in February when this all you know got to this low level or very high level of cash, meaning they're selling stocks, putting it in cash. The world index is, has been up over 13% year to date. So here they are selling, people are selling generally, and yet the markets are going up. And it just shows a lack of confidence. And, and at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of people are simply just not sure what's going on or they're reading headlines. And the human nature part of reading headlines will inspir, you know, spur off some kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. And the worst reaction is generally selling equities. And it's been proven time and time again. So it's quite interesting. In fact, some U.S. money managers, it's just not the average investor too. There's actually some U.S. money managers have up to 44% sitting in cash. Hmm. Cash does not pay you anything. No. They might be getting 1% or 2% on that, and they're mix, missing out. So mm. they simply missed out on oh, up to 13% of that return that they would have had had they left it invested. So Warren Buffett's interesting. He's got this annual meeting every year. It was just a, a week and a half ago, actually two weeks ago. It's a Saturday, gets up and does his speech. And he, he's a remarkable man. As most people know, he's he's getting up there in age. He's 88 years old. Mm. Um, nicknamed. I hope he's saved for his retirement. He's done okay. <laughs> yeah, he's done pretty good. Um, he has called the Oracle of Omaha. And rightfully so, because he's made some phenomenal investments over the years. Like he's, you know, in Coca-Cola. He's one that's kept saying, I buy businesses, I don't buy stocks. Mm. He buys a business and then lets it run. But he's also had some eh, not so great investments. IBM was a recent one that he bought uh, somewhere in the last 10 years, and he got rid of a lot of it since, mm-hmm. saying, you know, it wasn't a, wasn't a good one. <clears throat> but his 53, his, his fund started in 1965, and he has been running that fund up till this point, and it has had a 20.5% annual return per year hmm. um, versus a standard poor's return of 9.7%. Now, I Why think, wouldn't we all just be following him then? Yeah, oh, no kidding. And I have to say, I did look at it and said, wow, that's incredible. But it is very front heavy. When yeah. his fund was very small, he had returns of, say, in 1968, had a return of 78%. Well, the normal market did 11. Another, the next year, he did 19%. Well, that doesn't sound that great. Yeah, but the market did minus 8. 
Um, two years later, he did 80%, while the market did 14. In 1976, he did 129%, and the market did 23. So there hasn't been a whole lot of that in the last, uh, say, 15 to 20 years. That was all quite a lot. When the fund was small, he was buying, but you know, as the, when the fund's not that big, you're a lot more, say, flexible to make mm -hmm. choices. So I looked at the last nine years to answer your question, Scott, and he's still done well. He's not, uh, he's done well he's since in the last nine years, since um, 2010, he's averaged 14.3%. Mm -hmm. And if you just left it in the stock market, he did 12.2. So still quite good, but not nearly the, mm -hmm. you know, doubling of the, the market returns because it's so large now. The fund's yeah. massive. <coughs> but he's added so much wisdom too. And this is the thing where, you know, most people are, are getting caught up in headlines and things. He's literally just buying stocks. And he said he always bought um, when, when, when there was fear, he would be buying, mm -hmm. you know. And when there, was, when there was greed, he'd be getting out of it or hoarding cash. So it's, he always looks at it. He looked at investing in this recent annual report like trees. Mm -hmm. They grow in size and beauty. If you, you know, some stocks just do great and they just keep looking beautiful, like a nice little forest. But every so often you'll have one that has a disease and it's just not going to be around in 10 years. Mm. So he still knows that it's not, he's not infallible. He does mess up. But in 1942, he was 11 years old and that's when he started to put some money away. So he started a little younger than he's a little protege in terms of yeah, investing. Really. In fact, he started saving at age six. So you can learn here, uh, get those grandkids uh, thinking about putting some money away. Well, when you grow up just after the Depression. Yes, exactly. 1942. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely right. Um, he said he did have a tailwind. Mm -hmm. No question. And that's where you got a lot of those big returns mm -hmm. after the mm -hmm. Depression. Very good point. But he did start saving and he had $114.75 he had at 11 years old. Mm. And, and had he said, he just put that into the S&P 500, not even his own fund. At the rate of return that hit would have averaged, which was 11.8%, it would have grown right now, as of January 31st, 2019, to $606,000, hmm. almost $607,000 actually. It multiplied his money by 5,288 times, which is phenomenal. Now, to put that in perspective, you know, that's $114 says, well, you know, how much money did this 11-year-old have? That would be like having in today's dollars about 1100 bucks. Yeah. Okay, so it's still a, an okay amount for an 11-year-old to have 1100 bucks, sure. but it's not this amazing amount. Right. Most of that growth is simply allowing the compounding effect of money take its take do its work. Mm -hmm. And so if you had put $10,000 back then in today's dollars, it would be worth 5.4 million now the same multiple effect. So the whole point is, it's absolutely amazing what the compounding effect of money is if you can withstand the ups and downs. Because there's lots of negative years in here too. In uh, 1990, he was down 23%. In uh, 2000, he was down 20%. During the market correction of uh, 08, 09, he was down 32%. Mm. So it's not like he didn't have any negatives along the way too. But he used those as opportunities um, rather than, you know, basically fleeing yeah and interesting enough because it's such a long period of time if you're one that is simply trying to buy and sell like a lot of people are trying to pick the right times to invest and you just simply missed one percent per year you make a mistake for example the people that are like as mentioned at the headline if you had sold january you missed a 13 percent run up so far well it's easy to miss 
a little bit of time. If your timing's off a bit and you just simply miss 1%, instead of having if instead of having 606,000 like you would have had, he would have been down to 303,000 mm. by simply missing 1%. It's absolutely incredible how much people lose because of trying to plan for the next recession. Mm. And the other one that I thought was very cool, how do you have taken that $114.75 and he bought gold instead? Three and a quarter ounces of gold. How much money do you think you'd have now, Scott? I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't either, actually. <laughs> Good answer. Five grand. Five grand. Not bad, Andy. No, you, it's got to be more than that. Not bad. Well, actually, it's 4200 Really? 4200 Really? <laughs> yes. Gold has been an inflation catch investment. That's about it. It simply keeps up to inflation. It really doesn't do that much. Hmm. And there's an old saying about gold. An ounce of gold will buy a nice man's suit, okay? <laughs> Regardless of, of when it was. So you think about it now, right now, an ounce of gold is about 1250 bucks. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you certainly can buy a $1,200 suit. Yeah. It's a really nice suit, yeah. but that's always been the case, an ounce of gold. So it is a good inflation, but it's not a great investment. Yeah, it's usually and plus, times are tough. Eh? And the plus you have to store it someplace yeah. safe because mm -hmm. you can't, I mean, you can keep it in a safety deposit box. Mm -hmm. You got to pay for that or do you keep it at home and mm -hmm. worry about it? Or, you know, mm -hmm. anyway. <laughs> so so to look at the factors that play into into why we are failed investors, it's really human nature. Start, starts off with physiological. We have, we, we, we get scared. Yeah. It's right in yeah. this gland, the right amygdala, which is basically gives us the this different emotions, the experiences such as fear, anxiety, aggression. It's our response to things that make you scared, and it's usually to flee. So you may have heard that seer, that old saying, "Fear and greed." Mm -hmm. You know, you people, you know, get out when the markets are going down because they get scared, and they get greedy when the market's going up because they want to buy and make money. It actually turns out it's not true. Yes, they do get scared when the markets drop and they get fearful and they want to sell. It's, they actually are fearful when the markets go up too. And it's FOMO, hmm. fear missing out. Yeah. So it's not that they're greedy, they just hate missing out. They, they want to be part of it. So it's, it's the fear missing out. So there's one, the psych physiological, then we're psychological. It's a sim there's a symmetry and loss aversion. I know Andy mentioned this uh, quite a while back, but we have, when we lose money, it's twice the pain that when we make money, makes you feel good. Hmm. Okay, so if, if you could rank good and it worked out to, oh wow, the market went up and we made $100. Well, that's great, um, that would rank say 100. Well, if the rank market went down, we lost $100, that would rank 200. The feeling of pain is far worse. So again, we're not wired to make money there. Cultural, we can't even tell the difference between currency and money. Currency is simply the medium of the exchange. What is just, you know, right. whatever we spend money on. Money is the store of purchasing power. So what happens is inflation keeps hurting our purchasing power. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, we were just talking to the office, uh, my associate and I, and some client of him, his is retiring. He's got a million dollars. Sounds like a ton of money. He doesn't have a pension plan though. Hmm. That's all he's got. And you think back to say the mid eighties, if you had a million dollars, you're, you're rich. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are, fast forward a few, 30, three decades later, mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, a million bucks isn't bad. It's not even as worth as much as a teacher's pension. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's at 4%, that's 40,000 a year. So you have to look at the, 
the value and the store of that value. And, and it's also perceptual. The fourth flaw that we have is perceptual. We have this fatal link in the way humans perceive potential risk and reward, particularly in equities. Normally, we buy things when the prices fall. So if there's a lineup, if the prices were 99 cents a liter for gas, mm -hmm. there would be a lineup on the street right mm -hmm. now. Okay, that's just human nature. But for some reason, when it comes to investing, there is no lineup when the prices fall. So we have this perceptual mm. fatal link. So it, it hurts us all to not do well in terms of investing. So at the bottom line is, there's so many different ways to invest. This is why I know we have a lot of job security because our job partly is to look at what human nature is and go against it and help people invest properly. So in the long run, they'll beat inflation and they'll never run out of money. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, this seg uh, segment talking about adding an adult child uh, to joint ownership. Adding an adult child as a joint owner here in Ontario. And it's um, this is continues to be an ongoing issue that I run across with clients or prospects that we talk to about um, their own situation. And, and there's different motivations for this. But actually, before I was getting on, I was just thinking about reflecting on Don's uh, discussion there. And it's interesting. I did get a, I got a call from a client all oh, back in the beginning of the year. And uh, he he's, listens to the show as well. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, it's like you say, there's out of 10 years, you're going to get seven good ones and three negative ones. Right. And and he just sort of put it into perspective for himself. He just keeps said, I just keep reminding myself of that. Mm -hmm. If there's ever a down year like we saw in 2018, that it's just one of the three that'll happen in the next 10 years. So yeah. it's, uh, and it, it, if you can sort of disconnect yourself from the emotion of it and just put it into that perspective. Oh, I've only got two more lost years to deal with. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, in fact, and then one and then zero. It's all good. It's all straight up from here. <laughs> in fact, it's not even that bad. It's kind of interesting. Since 1950, 69 years later, we've been in recession 15% of the time. Hmm. Wow. So it's not even three in 10. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the average recession is only 11 months versus 67 months for expansion. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just funny how human nature is. We we remember the bad times far greater. They leave mm. a bigger impact on mm. us yes. than the money we make. And again, the questions that come up in human nature and trying to manage people's money, you have to really just leave it to the experts because it will cost you money not it doing that. It will be that. bad times. Yeah. Absolutely. As we say, you know, it's like a bar of soap. The more you, the more you touch it, the smaller <laughs> it gets in <laughs> your portfolio, right? You just Absolutely. leave it alone. And, uh, and, and it, it will work out for you in the end. So adding an adult child as joint owner, and, and really the, the first comment I'm going to say is be very careful. And the reason that people think about adding an adult child as joint owner, and this could be, for example, to an investment account or uh, an, a savings account at their bank. It could even be your house that you're considering. And most of this is centered around two things. It, it tends to be probate planning. So people are concerned about during an estate settlement, mm -hmm. how much will be paid in probate tax. We can avoid it. We can simplify it. Less legal costs. It'll just go directly to an individual. And that may be the case depending on what you want. Um, 
it also I've seen scenarios where an adult or this you know the the senior the individual has um, just trying to recognize that one of their adult children has helped them out a lot maybe mm-hmm. has benefited by you know assisting them during their transition phase as they either moved into a retirement residence so maybe mm-hmm. they were still at home uh, and that child that adult child spent you know a, a more proportionate amount of time helping them mm-hmm. than the other children perhaps so sometimes a, a joint account will be created to help facilitate that mm-hmm. uh, and even with the intention that that piece of money would end up going to that child who helped out more mm-hmm. um, I've seen situations where it's an only child and that may make sense as well uh, and I've seen situations where, you know, there's also problems. So joint accounts have been involved where there's a marriage breakdown. Yeah. So you've added the adult child, then suddenly they're their getting, problems they're, are yours. They're getting divorced, yeah. and now that piece of money is on the table and in question. Creditors. So an adult child has gotten into trouble financially uh, with their business, and now creditors are coming after that joint account that was created with the uh, with you, your adult, and. And control around, because generally people, both people have to sign on a joint account. You know, it it is owned by both of you, so you have to make joint decisions. So when it comes to joint accounts or joint scenarios, there's basically two types. The first one is what we call joint tenancy. And this is probably the one we're most familiar with in that each owner has an equal and and identical interest in in that investment or that property. And at death, the uh, the interest is transferred automatically to the other individual, right. the joint owner. You'll often see this uh, the the initials J T W R O S J T W R O S, which is joint tenancy with right of survivorship. Okay, so that's sort of your your standard joint account. Yeah, and then there's tenancy in common is the second type. And in tenancy in common, each owner can have a different interest a percentage, right? There might mm-hmm. be multiple owners, but uh, you might have a 60-40 split on something. Uh, and that death, the asset is distributed based on the deceased will. Mm-hmm. So it does not revert to the other uh person who has interest in that property, it stays with that individual and is dispersed based on their will. Now, a lot of times people die without a will. Yeah. So here's a quick little test. We're going to run through this. So uh, there's five different scenarios. We call it intestate or succession planning in Ontario. And this is basically for individuals that don't have a will. So you die without a will. Uh, If you uh, are separated if you were separated or in an adulterous relationship, your spouse was in an adulterous relationship, what happens when you die? Does that person get money if you don't have a will? Hmm. I would say yes. Correct. They're, it's exactly the same as a yeah, regular laws, spouse. Applies. So you're still, you're yeah. not divorced yet. You're just separated. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> in an, an adulterous spouse has no bearing on what happens <laughs> in your will. Number two is you have a spouse, but no children or issue. It's often called, you'll see that comment issue, meaning your children. So in that case, you die without a will, your spouse gets it all. St- uh, situation three is you have children, but no spouse. Children get it all. Mm. Situation four is you have a spouse and you have children. And in this case, the spouse gets the first 200000 And then if you just had one child, they get 50% of the rest and the child gets 
If you have more than one children, you get a third of the rest, and then the, re- uh, the remaining is divided amongst the children. Right. And finally, no spouse or no children. Basically, it's your siblings get equal shares, and um, if they're dead, their surviving children get it. So there's a, there's a sort of game plan in place, but most often it tends to be individuals that are not married, mm-hmm. uh, that don't bother doing a will, and right. often leave it intestate. So the next thing you have to think about when, when you're looking at joint ownership is what we call legal ownership versus beneficial ownership. And legal ownership is the individual who can give instructions on an investment account, for mm-hmm. example, but they can't personally benefit from it. Right. So they might do it, make an adem- a, a redemption from an, an account. They'll give instructions to make a redemption, but that money would go to say the adult parent in mm-hmm. this case, right? So the adult child is making, is now the, the legal ownership of the account in terms of act, acting on it, but the money is for the benefit of right. this, the other person. And then, um, and, and what often happens, so the beneficial ownership is the person who receives any kind of income from it or capital from that account as well. And so what's happened is that this, con- this context of ownership and who owns the money was really came to a head in the Supreme Court back in 2007. And I believe the case was PCOR versus PCOR. And it was, what was a result of that was something we called the presumption of a resulting trust. And so the, the court ruled that where a parent adds an adult child as a joint tenant, it is presumed that the parent did not intend true joint tenancy but rather what's called a resulting trust. So in other words, I've added my adult child on as a joint owner on an account, and I, my intent was that as a, as a resulting trust that they're simply going to be looking after it while I'm alive, but at my death, that money's gonna all go back into my estate and be distributed based on my will. Mm. So that concept actually defeats, if I was thinking about the list of purposes, yeah. why somebody would do joint tenancy, uh, it defeats the purpose of that because it, it doesn't avoid any probate, yeah. right? And that's- So that's, the major reason for doing this is tax. It's taxation or control or trying to simplify things, yeah. right? Uh, and, and Or there may be a, a, an, indeed an intent to gift money, more money to one child than another, uh, but it hasn't been done properly. Right. And that's where the risk is. So- um, the resulting, uh, when a resulting trust is created, the, the court rules this in general, that means that there was um, no capital gains issued. The parent probably reported all the income on that account all the way along, and the child had no rights to any part of it, um, including their creditors. So it was kind of protected in the sense mm-hmm. that it was basically still in the parent's name. Right. It just happened to have two names on the account. So if the parent dies first, then in this situation where a resulting trust has happened, that the parent will now realize all the capital gains on the account. There is no split between the right. two joint owners. Uh, the asset is considered part of the deceased parent's estate. The uh, transfer that the child who had control of the account has to transfer that bank account or that investment over to the estate trustee. So hand it back to the estate to then be distributed based on the will. And then finally, all of that asset is also gonna be subject to probate as well. Mm-hmm. So really no big benefit to that, and it sort of backfired in, in the case of what any what people are really trying to do. 
So this this sort of Supreme Court ruling about a resulting trust and kind of the unwinding of the joint ownership concept, uh, there, people are, are in court all over the place. Yeah. This is creating a nightmare for people. Mm. And um, so if you're trying to rebut this resulting trust, if you want to rebut the, pres- uh, the presumption of a resulting trust, you have to provide evidence of a gift. And so you have to prove that the parent intended to gift the money. You have to prove that the parent intended to gift the balance of it at death and um, or that the parent retained exclusive beneficial ownership while alive, but allows the child to take the balance at the death. So that was a scenario where we were letting the adult child kind of look after the account for us because mm-hmm. maybe our capacity wasn't as good anymore. We didn't want to be bothered handling the ba- paying bills and things. Right. But uh, so the, the child was able to look after that account while I was alive. But at death, uh, the money was definitely going to go to uh, back to the child or back to my estate mm-hmm. or back to the child, depending yeah. on the, on the issue. So the proof, uh, how do you prove that? Well, you might look at it and say, well, when the parent gave me that added my name to joint account that they triggered the gains on half of it. Mm-hmm. Because when you, if you had a hundred thousand dollar portfolio and you add a joint adult joint, uh, tenant in common, um, or sorry, joint tenants, then you would end up triggering or gifting half your money to that child, and therefore there'd be capital gains on half the account. And so you'd have to report that in the year that you added the joint owner. Did you report during your lifetime, did you report all the investment income, the T3s, the T5s? Mm. Were they all on your tax return, or did you split them between you and your child, your adult child? Mm -hmm. You each pay tax on half. And finally, um, you know, there is going to be creditor exposure. So was there any risk of that as well? So in this case, if the parent dies first, then um, if evidence has been provided, then um, the parent would only realize gains on half the account at death because they've already paid tax on half. And the asset is not considered part of the deceased estate. So it would stay with the adult child that Mm -hmm. was put on joint ownership. The child will inherit it by right of survivorship, and the maybe the main goal, but probate fees will not be paid in this case if you can prove that there was no resulting trust, right. and in tr- it was, in fact, truly um, joint tenant. So the problems are always, there's never any problems while we're alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, everything works smoothly. Your, your adult child's, you know, paying the bills, looking after your accounts for you. Uh, it all comes to the surface at death. Hmm. So you're not going to be around to see it, but it can get ugly, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting though, there, all, there is all these rules. It's interesting how many of those are followed because hmm. there's certainly a perception out there that you simply have to put everything jointly held. This is a, big, a lot of advice. And this is the advice that a lot are, are getting right. and that everything will be fine. And I would suggest that for a smaller estate, it probably is true because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people are doing it for bank accounts and things that mm-hmm. do not make a lot of, and there's no capital gains. So, and, but for larger estates, they are definitely put, putting themselves at risk. And with the amount of government trying to get more tax dollars these days and a lot of auditors, I think they, uh, they increased their size of auditors by a significant amount in the past year. So they are definitely going after these types of things. Mm-hmm. So the main thing you have to think about, if you've added a joint 
account, if you created a joint account with an adult child, really, what is it that you want? Do you want a resulting trust to be the outcome? In other words, the money will go back to your estate and be distributed based on your will. Or do you want it to be true joint tenancy where at your death that money is going to go to that adult child? Okay. And so I just, I was running through a little example here, which I wrote out. And, um, so in, in, in as quick as I can. So Julia has three adult children, Finnegan, Hazel, and Henry. During her lifetime, Julia, uh, subsidized Finnegan's medical education and made the down payment on Hazel's house. Julia has never made any similar gifts to Henry, Mm. who has always been able to meet his own expenses. However, Julia did add Henry as a joint owner to a substantial investment account that Julia controlled during her lifetime. At the time of Julia's death, the investment account is worth $95,000. And after her debts and taxes are paid, her estate assets, including the investment account, are worth, excluding the investment account, are worth $600,000. Julia's will divides her estate in three equal shares between Finnegan and Hazel and Henry. So here's a question, Scott. There's 600 grand on the table and 95,000 that was joint with Henry. How much are each of the kids going to get? Are they going to get 695,000 divided by three, 231,000 each? Or are they going to get 200,000 each and then Henry gets an extra 95,000? The second one. The second one. Well, Probably not. <laughs> probably not, because the court the court will automatically uh, automatically determine that this was a resulting trust, and that Henry has to put the money back into the estate, and in fact, it will be divided by three. Mm. So that uh, Julia's intent to help out Henry a little more is not going to be fulfilled. So bottom line, um, the main thing that you need to do when you've got a joint account, talk to your advisor about your joint account, find out what is the true purpose and is it going to be a resulting trust or true joint tenancy. And if you've already got one in place, see a lawyer, get it in writing, and uh, make sure that you know, it's never too late to change that, to add that information in to make sure it happens. And then finally, if you just want someone to look after your stuff, consider using a power of attorney to handle your accounts. All right, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165, and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about bucket list or inheritance or both. Yes, yes. And kind of piggyback on what Andy was talking about. It's interesting. Uh, Core Data Research 2017 surveyed 8,300 global investors. Okay, with, with over $100,000 of investable assets. And they concluded that almost half of those people, half of those 8,300 had planned on an inheritance for their retirement plan. Hmm. So we never talk about this as a good strategy. Okay, so how are you going to plan things? It's up there with winning a lottery. Yes, we are planning that we're going to get an inheritance and that's how we're going to retire. And I don't know where that comes from or whoever comes. You know, you certainly see people that have money um, and parents that will have lots of money, but it doesn't mean you're going to get that much. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that come into play. Um, First of all, they just may not leave it to you. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of interesting. You may be the golden child for 
70 of their 80 years. Yeah. You but can you fall from grace yeah. pretty quickly. <laughs> you, you tick them off somewhere on their 85th year and you're out of the will. <laughs> right? it's, it's all going to Fido. <laughs> so who knows on that side? Um, I had one client and, and she literally says, oh, yeah, my dad's got lots of money. I'm, I'm not even going to save. Well, it wasn't 10 years later that he remarried somebody a little bit younger. Uh, let's say a lot of bit younger. <laughs> and uh, there goes the inheritance. Mm-hmm. So she started saving. Mm. Um, longevity, you know. That's this, the other thing, too. It's unbelievable. Yeah. We're, I, there, there isn't a week that goes by that does, somebody doesn't say, well, I'm the oldest uh, surviving person yeah. in my generation, that no Smith has ever lived this long before. Yeah, yeah. They all died when they're 65, and I'm already 80. And it says, yeah, that's because it's just different. You know, medical, eating, mm-hmm. all, the, all the different things. We are definitely living longer. Um, it's, fun factor. People are, their retirement are a blast now. Hmm. They're not sitting on a rocking chair waiting to die like they did in, say, 1950 when the average person only lived another three more years. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, well, I guess I got three more years. I'll just wait it out. Um, Now they are having a blast. And you can see that with the amount of cruise cruise commercials going on, Mm -hmm. the active lifestyles. It is, it's amazing and great to see. But what it does mean is they're spending your inheritance. Yeah. And it's, uh, they're having a good time. And, not, and one last thing, the, assist, the assisted living, we see such a, a huge array of costs for that. Mm-hmm. So you have the, you know, the kind of the normal bare bones one that's 2,500 to 3,000. But I know there's one in Burlington, Andy, that uh, I'm not sure what was the cost of that one you're saying? Oh, no, you can, it's easily, you know, 8,000 to 8,500 yeah. for an individual, yeah. 10,000 for a couple a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're, there's over 100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, what the heck, we're not, we're not traveling anymore anyway. Let's have a blast, mm-hmm. okay, and let's have a good time. So it's, it's clear that seniors intend to enjoy the retirement years. They're living longer, and they have a higher expectation for retirement. So you have to also have that different expectation of your inheritance, mm-hmm. okay, because you may not get it. So, we like, we, you know, what we can do from a financial planning perspective is show, let's have two plans. Let's do it on your own. And it says, okay, what if when you are, say, 80, you do get an inheritance of, and we can X, put in the X on the amount. So let's say it's 100000 But, you know, that can vary per, per client. And see what the difference is. Now, if in option A that, yeah, you don't have a very good success rate and you are planning on your inheritance to get by, um, you better be in the good books right up until the end there, okay? <laughs> but it's also not a great feeling that you weren't able to plan your own retirement. Mm. Um, I like to look at an inheritance as more of a bonus than it is, uh, you know, expectation. So the amount of impact, the amount of the inheritance could have an important um, change of your life. And it really comes down to have the talk. Easier said than done, yeah. okay? Because <laughs> this money is one of those things that people just don't want to talk about. It's almost like, okay, if we talk- Especially to- when it's uh, accompanied with death. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you're just, you're just talking to me now because you're just expecting an inheritance. And there is some truth to that. Yep. It is absolutely incredible how many people come out of the woodwork where they hadn't seen them for 20 years. Mm. Also in the last couple of years of say, oh, wow, I'm starting to see my daughter a lot, off, lot more often or son. So it, it is a little bit- you know, I don't, unethical in my opinion, but it's having that talk. And and if if they are going to leave money, well, this is a great opportunity to also do some tax planning for them. Because why would you want to have up to 53.5% of your parents' money go to the government? Mm-hmm. So if they don't have a financial planner, what a great opportunity to look at yourself as that power of attorney, 
or somebody that will help out, let them have the great life they are having, but let them know that, okay, we're going to maximize those TFSAs. We're going to have some joint ownership, if it made sense, such as Andy just said. Maybe we should cash in some RSPs early, but not affect the old age security clawback. Have a retirement plan that it's a win-win. The parents will have a great retirement. They'll pay less tax. And you're, because you're paying less tax, you'll have more of an inheritance. The one that's losing is the government. Mm-hmm. But it does take planning to do that. Um, also, with planning, you do have to have things go up with inflation. Um, also, have the discussion about insurance. Some people, it's interesting. Oh, yeah, I got insurance. It's interesting. It's kind of like your grandmother who gives you that toonie. It says, here's your birthday, son. <laughs> um, yeah, it might have felt like a lot of money, yeah. but it's not a lot anymore. Yeah. And so you're seeing these policies. Oh, yeah, it's a $1,500 life insurance policy. Big deal. It doesn't have any impact. It might have been a lot of money at one time. So look at the existing wills. There is particularly the executors. Some of the executors, it, that will may have not been done for a while, and that mm. person may have been quite old themselves or even passed away. So there's, at the end of the day, if you're having that, having that talk with your parents, go through this, and it's great. The, to be honest, the best thing is, is to bring in a financial planner. Bring in your financial planner. They're like the inter, you know, that third party that will kind of keep track of everything, and it just breaks the ice a lot more. So you're not doing it. You're not feeling like you're asking the question. You're being nosy. It's the financial planner's job to to get this information anyway, and they'll be at the first person to give advice on both sides. What would be the best result for a good plan? We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out the website at andyanddon.com or call them. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. Short break here. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at Andy and Don.com. That's Andy and Don.com. Last segment talking about goals and concerns. Goals and concerns are the absolute, almost the starting point for every financial conversation that Don and I will have with a client. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it, basically, if you look at the steps of the financial planning process, and there's a number of different of them, the first thing is understanding what is it that you want to do? Mm-hmm. What's important to you? What are your financial goals and concerns? And sometimes people have those already kind of figured out, and there's certain things that are top of mind or of concern uh, right out of the gate. But a lot of times people are sort of struggle, well, you know, I haven't really defined my goals. You know, I know mm-hmm. I want to you know, do certain things. But so what over the, all the years that we've talked to people to understand what are the key goals or things that are important to them financially, we've come up with a list of the 15 most common comments that people will bring to us. Mm -hmm. And so we often, and the process would be simply talking about those, but putting that list in front of individual, like if it's a couple, each of them get their own Mm -hmm. piece of paper because everybody has different objectives or might prioritize something over uh, over somebody, uh, another one. So putting that list in front of them, read over the list and take a look at these 15 goals and try and prioritize the top three or four things that you, that really are most most important to you like to focus on. Mm -hmm. And then the process unfolds as we, and this, you can spend quite a bit of time going through and understanding what do each of those goals mean? What are the timeframes involved? Well, how much money's involved? 
what are you currently doing? What are the current strategies you're doing? Mm-hmm. And and so the process basically builds from that. So as I was looking through this list <clears throat> and listeners out there today, you're listening here for a reason to learn about, yeah. you know, certain financial information and hopefully to achieve your own goals and priorities. But the just quickly running through the list, um, the first one is learning to invest wisely. So that obviously means different things to different people, but it might be um, an asset allocation model. It might mean um, how to um, uh, minimize volatility. There's a number of different things around that, mm-hmm. or how to um, allocate based on goals, which where my money should be. Uh, number two, paying off debts and mortgage. Mm-hmm. So goal is for everyone to try and retire without any debt. Mm-hmm. And obviously we've been told from day one, when you have a debt, pay it off as, as, as quickly as you can. So what strategies, what time frame are we going to do? What resources do we have available? What are you currently doing towards paying down your debt? And then building on the plan from there. Number three is staying ahead of the cost of living. And staying ahead of the cost of living, that could be both while you're working or while you're retired, but inflation and understanding that your investments after tax and after inflation need to keep pace with inflation because yeah. costs are going up. Uh, number four, developing a financial reserve. Now, this could be for emergencies or could also be for an opportunity. And as Don was talking about volatility in the market, if you are uh, disciplined in your approach, you might be looking at that drop that we saw last December, mm-hmm. and now we're up 13%. Mm-hmm. Were you able to invest some money because you had a financial reserve right. to allow you to do that? Uh, Number five is family income protection in case of death, disability, or critical illness. So basically covering all the bases there, making sure that I can sleep at night, that if something happens to me, my family's protected, they're going to be looked after, and um, that everybody's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Surviving possible unemployment. So what would happen if you lost your job? You know, do you have the resources to get you through a period of time if you need to retrain uh, what's the strategy around that? Will there be RRSP withdrawals? How will you handle severance? There's all kinds of things there. Uh, next one, reducing my income tax. Well, this is universal. Pretty yeah. much everybody is generally at some point will prioritize that in their top four. Um, so again, what are you currently doing to reduce your income taxes? And then what other opportunities can we uncover to make sure that you're minimizing tax again, both while you're alive and working, during the retirement phase, and then obviously during your estate as well. Uh, Next one is plan for leisure activities. So this could be traveling, uh, like maybe it could be a one-time big trip that you're thinking about, a big family trip. It could be a boat. It could be an RV, any number of things there. Uh, And leisure activities is sort of maybe just to do with cash flow while both while you're working, but also into retirement as well. Planning for a major purchase. So uh, doesn't, you know, a lot of times people say, I want to buy a cottage, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I want to, uh, buy a vacation property. Uh, we're going to be buying a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So how do we build your plan to accommodate that? Will it be financed? Will it be partial? Will it be cash? Where's the money going to come from? The next one might be owning my own business. So a lot of times people, uh, either they're in their business, own business already. So it's about maximizing that resource and, uh, or it becomes part of a future plan. You know, I'm working hard at what I'm doing now, but I want to build up resources to branch out on my own and do this by myself Mm -hmm. in my own business. Paying for my child's or grandchild's education. So we all know the importance of education and Mm -hmm. we're, and most parents are 
trying to help their kids get a leg up in the next at the, in the next generation and and helping them through their education uh, both in the um, um, postgraduate and uh, area and also high school as well. Next one is about retirement, so retiring early and comfortably. Well, everybody kind of, most people say I want to retire early. Comfortably means different things to different people yeah. because it depends on your mm-hmm. lifestyle. How much money do you need? Uh, uh, you know, is there longevity in your family? You know, and, and uh, where will you be living and the cost of, associated with that as well. Uh, the next one, which is ensuring my funds last through retirement. And that is, again, comes back to that question of longevity and that fear of running out. And so being able to understand uh, how to deal with market downturns in terms of your cash flow during retirement uh, and being able to make sure that your income is keeping pace with inflation over time. The 14 is preserving my estate for beneficiaries. And finally, the last one is charitable giving and how best to arrange that and minimize tax and maximize what I can do for my charity. There you go. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them 905-529-7165. They'll return your call. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Scott.